This is The Real Good Podcast. My name is John Roebuck and with me is Derek Tyrell Armstrong. That's me. And Zoe Wallace-Coldham. Yep. Wallace would be a good nickname for you. Yeah. I need to start preparing like a, a, a better comeback then. That's me or whatever comes into my head at that moment. We should make nicknames <laughs> for him beforehand. That's right. Or yeah. just say something completely off the wall to throw him off. I run this podcast, guys. Okay. <laughs> this episode is called Replican or Replicant and that's because we'll be talking about Dennis Villeneuve's Film Blade Runner 2049. Well done. I looked up the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, I was going to do that. But and I'm I glad. still don't think I got it. Villain of you. Here's a short synopsis that I found on the internet. Officer K, Ryan Gosling, a new Blade Runner for the Los Angeles Police Department, unearths a long buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. His discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, a former Blade Runner who's been missing for 30 years. Hopefully it goes without saying that there will be spoilers for Blade Runner 2049 in this episode, but it doesn't. if it doesn't, then let me say now that there will be spoilers for Blade Runner 2049 in this episode. Yes. Derek, what did you think? Uh, I think we should give it over to Zoe first because of her professed love. Uh-oh, she's giving me a look. She's giving me a look. No, okay, I'll take it first. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so... You just crossed Zoe's line, mate. I crossed Zoe's <laughs> line. I was like, oh, that look, that's not a good look. No. no it's hard to go first sometimes um, because you kind of want to play off what the other person has to say, especially when you feel kind of lukewarm about the film, uh, which is how I feel about Blade Runner 2049. It's um, It was hailed as a new sci-fi masterpiece by, by a bunch of critics going in. And can I say, I feel like people out there are really eager to embrace greatness on film because there's been so many films this year that have been more highly rated than I believe they deserve to be. And this is a prime example of it. This is quite a good film in some respects and severely lacking in others. And um, I think it's got a lot of, a lot going for it in terms of tone and mood. But I was thinking the thing that I loved about the original Blade Runner is that it introduced us to a world. And I thought all the parts of this film that were really good were parts that, where something new was introduced. And all the parts that were not as interesting to me were the ones that kind of went over the same old territory. And I, I have some examples that I could give, but I imagine we'll get to those as we go along. So do someone else want to chime in on how you feel? Uh, so the reason I was hesitant before is that I'm just so conflicted about how to feel about this yeah. film. And I saw it a week ago or half a week ago. Now, have, and you, have you said that oh, have you said this is, the original is one of your favourite films? The original is yeah. one of my favourite yeah. films. Yep. Yeah. I was expecting to hate it okay. in the same way that lots of people hated the new Star Wars film. Mm. I was expecting to be that disappointed and I wasn't that disappointed. So originally I was like, all right, cool. They didn't stuff it up. And then the more I've been thinking about it, the more I just feel like I wish it hadn't been made. Yeah. So I well, I took yeah. Zoe to the press screening and I yep. left fairly underwhelmed. And at the time I think... You seem to have your problems with it, but you thought they got there to a certain degree. Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. And but like, like you, I I felt conflicted about how I really felt about it, and at the time I didn't. Uh, I, I thought it was like you, like you know. So, so there, there there are there are really great qualities and a lot of really bad qualities. And I ended up seeing it a second time oh. to uh, to confirm mm. the kill. Yeah. And uh, mm. I I the sec I felt had the exact same reaction the second time. So so as an example. Um, what I was speaking of before about it being introduced new, to new things. Um, the film never gets any better than the first 15 minutes for me. I love the introduction of these vast farms that just against this like dusty white foggy sky and these people 
scratching out this living with these bioengineered crops in these like awful dystopian fields of, of farms that are covering California. And you see the lone Blade Runner flying car descending and confronting um, a rogue replicant. Uh, and I thought Dave Batista was great. He's really becoming... He's good, isn't he? My favorite thing in all the films I see him in, to totally, be honest. Yeah. He's, I think he's, he's even, terrific. He's even good as that like, silent henchman inspector, which yeah. was a bad movie, and he's good in it. I don't really like the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I haven't seen the second yet, but I, I love Dave Batista, and I think he's really got it. And that's the only scene in the whole film where the Blade Runner actually does the Blade Runner's job, which is to go collect a replicant and have mm. a, a, a fight with a replicant, get thrown through a wall, all this stuff that was is the core of kind of all of Deckard's interactions with the um, with the Blade Runners in the first film. So I guess I guess what I was saying before that I wanted something new. I wanted I wanted the variation on the thing that I'd already seen. And I thought that that farm, the, the farm, all the farms uh, were, were a great kind of new dystopian uh, set that I hadn't seen before. Like we saw the cityscapes and we see those a lot in this film too, but we didn't see anything like those farms. And I was, I was blown away by those opening 15 minutes. And then it started to kind of spin its wheels for another two hours and 30 minutes. Well, the, one thing, the one thing I'm still sort of uh, on the fence about is how I feel about um, uh, the movie taking the world into new areas. And I don't think the first Blade Runner calls for a mythology. No. At all. No. And I think the way the areas that it pushed this film visually into new territory, like with the farms, and also I think it really um, uh, uh, jettisoned a lot of the noir elements of the first movie and there was yep. a lot sort of crisper uh, visual palette to it. I didn't mind that. Um, but uh, then it, would, it expanded a lot of the themes and, uh, yeah, the, the lore and the uh, supposed mythology of this film that never really needed the mythology. Okay, so... Did you... Did you were you saying it was like a noir or it wasn't? It, I felt this was a lot less noir. Yeah, a lot less yeah, noir. Yeah. It was kind of like an action sci-fi. Yeah, and which... Watching the first one, it's just this beautiful, like, coming together of noir and sci-fi that I've probably never seen done mm-hmm. as perfectly Even though it's been tried, you know, replicated, uh, pardon the sort of pun, but, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really effortless in the first movie. Yeah. And this movie I found almost too beautiful. I think yeah. Roger Deakin's cinematography didn't suit it. And I yeah. feel like this um, uh, uh, concept of uh, effort... It really suffocates the film. And you watch the first movie, and I was writing, wrote this in my review of the movie. Ridley Scott, he's made some bad movies, but when he's good, yeah. his movies seem effortless. Even when he's doing stuff that's never been done before, like in Blade Runner, mm. or even to a certain degree, Gladiator. Yeah. And the effortlessness in Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, I think is really um, tangible. And this movie, the direction, and I think the cinematography, which are really two, I think, important elements of this movie, you can really feel the effort. It was and, too slick. And it suffocates the movie. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, by being, yeah. By building on the too slick part, I wanted to see more of the grubbiness that I knew mm. existed in this but world. Yes. The yeah. first film sets up these these great kind of underworld ecosystems and uh, infrastructures about how, like, the black market works and how, you know, there's a lot of street-level hustlers and a lot of just, like, grunge. And, and you really don't get you down to that. the street level in this film. It's all Be- in the clouds, and you that's, know? That's because this movie, whereas the first movie was a, uh, a detective movie, essentially, yeah. with really cool ideas. This movie is all about these ideas. It happens just to be sort of like semi-exist in this uh, Blade Runner world. And uh, this sequel actually reminded me of um, the, the Matrix sequels mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that the first one was sort of driven by genre and entertainment and the point of, or like, these ideas were made indirectly. And I always think that, uh, well, not, not always, but I often think 
that points are best made when they're made indirectly with cinema. Yep. And as soon as you start sort of laboring the point, you feel like being rammed down your throat. And with the Matrix sequels and this sequels, they became films about these ideas yep. and mm. less and, – and, and they were they were too laboured. And uh, I lost my train of thought. Go. Well, so, <laughs> so what I think one of the big problems I have with it, it comes down to the story. And I basically just do not believe – that two androids can have a baby. I just don't buy that. Mm. They don't. You don't yeah. build an amp- android with a uterus and with fallopian tubes and the ability to make a baby. You just mm. don't do it. And yeah, sure, Dave Bautista tells us it's a miracle, but there's a miracle, and then there's like a miracle has to be tethered to some kind of scientific feasibility. And and th- that whole thing really threw me off. And the fact that Rick Deckard has to be the center of the mythology oh, is, yeah, what, is what is what is convenient. what I really hate. So here's what here's my here's my spiel about this. In the first Blade Runner, Rick Deckard is basically our viewer surrogate. He's not he's not he's kind of a zero really. He doesn't do a lot. He doesn't have a lot to do with anything. He's I mean, he's the main character. Yeah, but the the real charismatic character is Roy Batty played by Rucker Hauer and all of the androids are much more interesting than he is. He's kind of a blank slate. Mm. I don't believe that he needs to be he for, this is the the analogy I thought of. Rick Deckard should be like Boba Fett. And here and here's my p- parallel. Boba Fett is kind of like a, a, a not very charismatic or interesting character. He looks really cool in Empire Strikes Back and he serves this fu- important function, but he's not, he's just a guy. He's just like some bounty hunter. When you make Boba Fett like key to the whole mythology of how the army of clones is built, it really, you know, throws me off. And so now Deckard, for whatever reason, has some special android spawn that can impregnate another replicant who is also fairly unremarkable why are these two why why these two why do they make a baby it misses the appeal of the first one completely and it makes it into this sort of epic sci-fi you know universe uh that the first movie never was the first movie was chinatown in the future yeah and they're also though in the in the new film there wasn't any real antagonistic character except for jared leto Whereas in the first oh, what one... About, what about T-1000? I mean, I, yeah, of course, her. of course, of course. <laughs> but it was like in the first one he's hunting down these replicants. He's got a clear, you know, that's that's why, that's what he's doing yeah. and it's exciting and, and you're rooting for him. And then in this one it's just like he's trying to find a baby but you kind of, you don't really know why and you don't even believe that the baby would, would have be, been possible. Yeah. So. Really, his reason for going along, you don't, you're not really like that involved in it. There's a lot of moping and wandering in this film. And, yeah, <laughs> and these ideas that the, the the filmmakers are bringing up, I don't care about getting answers on them. I mean, the first movie didn't give us answers, but I'd like a filmmaker to have a better grasp on at least on first viewing on the on the questions he's putting forward than I do. Yeah. And anyone can ask, what does it take to be human? Yeah. And I don't think uh, uh, the the filmmakers actually had anything interesting to offer on either of those. Uh, on any of the things they were putting out there, I don't think they had an interesting slam on any of them. I will disagree with you in one way. One of the other parts of the film that I really liked was everything related to his digital girlfriend. Mm. I thought I real I was really interested in how the replicant was suddenly placed on the middle of a continuum of realism. So you've got a human on one end that is fully real, flesh and blood. You've got an android who is flesh and blood with machine parts, and then you've got a consciousness that exists as a hologram. And is trying to to aspire to more than that. And mm. I thought, and I was really interested by that stuff. I was interested by her design, by what she, how she could exist in this emanator and kind of go around in the world. But that that would be it for her if she, if it ever got broken. And 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 how she 
served a real function for him, but at the same time was essentially just a template. Like we see her in the advertisements for that product, right? It, a friend of mine was asking me, do we, does she look like that in the advertisements because it's like Minority Report and they're looking at and they're, and they're filling in Rick Decker, uh, not Decker, oh, yeah. they're filling in Kay's tastes yeah. for him so he sees his own or taste. Or does everyone say that? Or is it yeah. just that this, this is how bland this thing really is, is that every one of these things looks like this woman and she's just trying, she's just yearning for, for selfhood, you know? Yeah, but... I couldn't figure it out. That's like, that's her though. We've seen that before in that Yeah, that film. is like her, the, f- the film her, yeah. I don't know for me. Which I also don't like. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, you could do something different. Like if that's the only thing that that one of the two things that you really liked, it should but have been like something it. that had been not seen. You know, everything to do with like even the way she surrogates her body for him. That happens in her. And I think my what like, regardless of what you got out of those films intellectually, I think a lot of her scenes really. Killed the uh, the the pace, and which is a huge problem with this film. And I feel like yeah, it was this bad. movie like built up this energy, and just I remember turning to Zoe and during the screening, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is getting exciting!" And then there was just this like it stopped, and then it built up again, and it stopped. Yeah, there are whole hour long periods yeah. of this film that are just kind of treading water. And, I and that that yeah. sex scene, I was like, "Oh, this could have been interesting," but like this has just killed. Like literally, the momentum is, was building up to this exciting point, and then it, the whole plot stops for this sex scene. So I'm interested in in her primarily as she relates to Kay, because he it gives him someone to look at and say, "Well, this is a lesser form than me," and it kind mm. of creates this weird dynamic because usually he's everyone's calling him Skinner or Skinbag, and he's the one that is less than, but he's seeing this other thing. And there's this other thing, and so then so maybe she's got like a a digital file somewhere within her that's striving to be more than what it is. It's this whole continuum of like mm. things trying to, to exist and try to have, trying to have a soul. And that stuff interested me at the same time. I am a little bit wary of the way that Ridley Scott has been dealing with that in his own films recently and all these alien films, how he's, he's been giving us too much of what David wants to be and how David has become a real person or, you know, it's, and that, and this is not Ridley Scott obviously, but it's Scott's template and it's more of that. And that's a little bit tired right now too. Meaningless jumbled religious sort of iconography and like, and and you, you get the sense with this end, like, yeah, Ridley Scott's recent alien films that he's just throwing religious concepts at his movies and hoping that some shit sticks. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's smart filmmaking. I personally also think that Ryan Gosling was the wrong person, wrong choice they for that role. should have got Goldberg for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, actually, uh, I basically have decided that I'm in love with Ryan Gosling. He's great. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, See, he's, he's, he's gorgeous. Uh, no, he's I'm not. a heterosexual male, but I love staring longly, well, longingly into his eyes. But, but he's not. An alien. He's not. Interesting though, he's Gosling. He's got That's his okay. Gosling charm. That's okay in no, this role, I think. No, 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 no. Okay. It needed to be someone that had like that was darker and had a little bit of like I don't know. Um, Whoopi Goldbergness. Yeah. <laughs> he he's too like Gosling. He's got this like he's suaveness this... and he's got this voice that he puts on and all these jokes I've seen in, you know, Crazy Stupid maybe Love like, and he's like, doing them yeah. in Blade Runner. I'm like, what the hell? Just get someone that's a bit more like tortured. It's like he's figured out how to <laughs> fake brood and yes. he's sort of like, you know, cracked this thing that like 
this facade of broodingness, but it's not actual brooding. It's like he yeah. just puts well, Gosling on top of each role yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah, totally, yeah. And Speaking, it's all the same. Well, that, yeah, that's, I, I don't, I think I'm being, I'm somewhat convinced by what you say, but I still, I still like him as like a movie star and I like him in this role. But I think there's a big problem in this film, which is that it spends like 45 minutes in the middle on a red herring, which is that he is the child, mm. which he's not, but there's a lot of time spent on, oh shit, is this him? Like when he finds the horse and all that stuff. I thought some of that stuff was effective, except then it ultimately isn't anything. Wasn't it isn't anything, really yeah. what, it, what it is. It's not what the, what the, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of loose threads in this that made me think that they're preparing for sequels, which. Yes, the revolution. Which, yeah, exactly. Which is just the Matrix That's 3 the Matrix. Yes. Again. It's just like, <laughs> this is not what made the original film interesting. And I don't care, I guess. Like I, I was sort of worried when I was writing my review if it had come across that I was, uh, uh, upset that this new film wasn't like the original, and that's it, not the case. I just don't think the places, a lot of the places it took this new film, were really satisfying. Well, the thing is, it is a lot like the original. You feel like you're watching the original, kind of when you watch oh, it. I disagree. In, in the tone. Yeah, no, not in the tone. No, okay. not at all. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree, but yeah. it just wasn't as good as the original. So, like, <laughs> it's a hard standard, is... of course. But, but, like, I think that, like, I, I, I give it a seven, and the reason for that is that I do think that there's, it's, a, it's an, an unenviable task, and there's a lot of interesting things done with this world. Mm. But it's just what I think you can only award like the surface pleasure so much and then you've got to get into the themes and the plot and the plot lets me down a lot so yeah I don't know mm. yeah so um I was gonna ask you guys uh what you thought of yeah what did you think of Jared Leto I mean he, he seemed kind of wasted to me I know he was you just don't even notice that he's in there kind of that's I, what it made me think. Okay, it's so all they're setting I, him up for the sequel. I actually for didn't mind. I didn't mind his performance, but I thought everything that he was given to say was just fluff. These yeah. sort of like quotes about you know storming the gates of Eden and like this this crap you've heard um, Michael Fassbender's character say in Ridley Scott's Alien. That's right. And like I actually didn't mind his his performance. Actually, sort of um, the way uh, what he did with his voice reminded me of. Um, Agent Smith in The Matrix. Mm. It's sort of uh, uh, yeah. like a um, you know, robotic digital kind of a thing, a tinge to it. He, he wasn't menacing enough. And I can't really remember what even happens but to him. I, I don't know. He's unresolved. He's unresolved. I don't know if he needs to be menacing. Like I think his lack of menace maybe sort of makes him more menacing because he thinks he's doing the but right thing. But his lack thing. of plot function is the bigger problem. <laughs> he should be memorable yeah. and I barely remember that I think, he's I in the film. The, my ultimate feeling about this is that the film should have made us – it should have disturbed us and moved us because I think I'm disturbed and moved by the original Blade Runner. Like some mm. of the ways that the people are killed in it, like Roy Batty poking out his creator's eyes and, yeah. and um, you know, the, the kind of horrible sh- shooting of Daryl Hannah as she's doing flips yeah. and the woman crashing through the glass. All that stuff was really disturbing when I first saw it. But also the finale of that film is completely heartbreaking and moving mm. and none of those emotions were reached there's you tell, could tell they were going for some kind of epiphany by the, at the end but, but Harrison, you, Harrison Ford putting his hand on the glass know, just doesn't do it for me what, what I think is an issue there is that the first movie asked this question of whether androids dream of electric sheep and like sort of let the you do the thinking and this movie kind of answers it and sort yeah. of um, sort of is a bit uh, intellectually stunted because of it and the first movie was a bit like poetry and this is more like a puzzle and then once you've solved it, it's not a particularly satisfying puzzle. Anymore. What what do you think they answered it with? I think they, do they answered they it conclusively that, they... that yeah, android droids do dream of electric sheep <laughs> <laughs> and have babies apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So how did that? How did they have that baby anyway? It's a miracle. Zoe. <laughs> 
that's another thing. Like I just like, I guess this is what I was going to say at the end. I just don't want that memory in my mind. I don't want to think about Rachel giving birth under a tree or whatever and then yeah. dying. I don't want to yeah. think about old dorky Harrison Ford. I want oh, Well, we I have to, to now because we've got Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, <laughs> The Force Awakens and now Blade Runner 2049. And now so every time I watch Blade Runner, I'm going to think of all that shit oh. and I don't want to. Anytime you like see Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones as being awesome, you're going to think about the Crystal Skulls. It's just like what the hell is he doing? What the hell is um, uh, Ridley Scott doing with his legacy? Like chill out. You made these amazing films. Look at like Gladiator, you know. Two. <laughs> yeah, but that being said, Harrison Ford wasn't even that. I thought he was quite good. But it's what he was given. But to he do, wasn't yeah. Harrison Ford in the eighties. So, so I'm a Harrison Ford apologist in in most respects, and I welcomed him in the Force of Awakens, which I know is not everyone at this no. table does not agree with that. <laughs> but I felt the opposite in this. I just didn't want to see him, and it was kind of annoying too because he was teased out for so long. I know. Like I kept he's thinking. on the poster. He's up and set in front of us on the poster. You don't even see him until the two hour mark. Well, yeah. That's because Ryan Gosling. I, I reckon Ryan Gosling's character is the slowest walker <laughs> in the history of cinema. Yeah. It really hit me the second time <laughs> yeah. I watched it. And like slower than that, zombies. That's the walk when he's going through the um, the Las Vegas um, casino. Really dragged. There, yeah. there is, if yeah. it's a slow pace just for the sake of a slow pace, then that's not good filmmaking. There's there's no there's no benefit to how slow a lot of these scenes are. He's just dragging. Wasn't it out. he just so, cautious though? But he, like too, yeah, too it's slow. just like I, he, you could have shown me he was cautious in two shots, and it just went for <laughs> so long. And I think it's to give you the impression that you've been through something meaningful, but it's just exhausting. Yeah. That scene where, however, where they first are meeting each other and they're in the hotel lobby and Elvis, like the hologram of Elvis uh, is playing, yeah. I thought that was really cool. I think and it was the lighting cool, was amazing and, yeah. I, I agree. I think that was cool. But I also feel like it's just another example of, of Villeneuve's inability to kill his darlings. You know, he every idea he had that he wanted to present in this world was in the movie. You know, he did, mm. I feel like he didn't make any tough decisions and that's part of the problem. That's probably why it was so slack. You mean like he didn't make any cut, cutting? Yeah, anything cut that he anything. thought would be a cool idea made it into the film. I, I think his know? his mm-hmm. um, uh, merits as a filmmaker are arguably uh, his biggest weakness because he does things so well that his flaws are more apparent. And I think he's quite a hollow filmmaker and he's got this amazing capacity for mixing sound and image but then and you, you're sort of because it's so, you know, some of his images and are so remarkable, you sort of crave this content and it's just not there. Yeah. Um, we've got to move on to our top three. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, have you got anything else to say, Zoe? Well, let me just read all my notes. We'll also have the wrap We'll just, we'll just <laughs> wait here while you finish reading. You know? We'll have the wrap up segment as well. Don't forget. <laughs> Save something for the wrap up segment. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't we start with you with our top three? Oh, okay. Cool. Oh, do you, do yeah, you no, I'm good. Oh. Top three is uh, top sci fi worlds. And I, I just figured we'd. Uh, I got a message from Zoe today asking what that meant. And I replied, <laughs> whatever you want. Exactly. It's your, it's, your, it's your moment. What do you think my first answer is? Blade Runner. Blade Runner one. Yeah. <laughs> that is like my favorite part about the film is the world that are you, it creates. Are you going down to one or is this your. One, two, three? Oh, that's, that's okay. Oh, that's, right. that's all right. You can do it that oh, way. <laughs> sorry. Well, I've already started now. Uh, it's just amazing. And if anyone hasn't seen the first one, see it. And I don't know which order to see it in if you're going to see the second. Oh, I don't, can't tell you that. But just, just don't see the second. Just, maybe don't. <laughs> don't need to. Yeah. I thought Look, you were going to try to tell I mean, us which so, version to see. <laughs> oh, okay. So today yeah. I, watched, I watched it today okay. on Stan and it's the version 
with the voiceover, which I've never oh. seen before, and it is so bad. Yeah, that might have been the like, first one I ever saw. So that might have been my my version crazy. of Blade Runner. It's got that Harrison Ford doing yeah. the voiceover, and it just ruins all the brooding, then, like beautiful moments with the music because he's just talking over it. Happy ending as well. Like yeah, yeah, apparently, it's really weird. Apparently the definitive version, according, I think the director's cut and the final cut are pretty similar. But um, if if you're according to Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford, they reckon the final cut's the way to go. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, number two. Uh, number two is Dark City which oh, that was John, on my list but ooh, yeah, yeah. Cool. well maybe yeah. I'll let you describe no, it no no I mean I considered it but it's oh, not okay. yeah anyway um, John Roebuck asked me, to, uh, asked me what she told me uh, commanded it commanded it <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of got a similar feel I guess to yeah. Blade Runner and that's definitely the aesthetic that I love uh, how do I describe it it's uh, do I have to describe it? You don't have to, no. Uh, maybe, In fact, yeah. leave, it, leave, it, leave it as a surprise. Tell people Bauer just to go see it. You've yeah. either yeah. seen it and you know what she's talking about mm-hmm. or you're in for a treat. It's um, Australian director too. You gotta, you have mm-hmm. to have seen it. Who uh, mm-hmm. recently uh, came out and had a real crack at uh, film critics. Although I actually did like Gods of Egypt and I'm probably the only oh, person God. ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three. Um, and number three is, is her. Um, mm. pro- it's like a, it's a utopian future, which you never really see. And it's really beautiful. And what about Star Trek? Oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> You're not seen any Star Trek films? No. Um, and it's just, it's so exquisite. And you love that cinematographer too, don't you? The, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm obsessed. Yeah. I watched that film on silent oh, wow. and I find it just as enjoyable. Well, he shot Dunkirk, which I think should get best cinematography. Yeah, probably. Oh, it probably will. Oh, yeah. Although yeah. somebody, I read an article today arguing that Roger Deakin should win. Well, for this. there's. A, I reckon. I reckon it'll be out, out of these two because. Uh, but I think if Roger Deakins wins, it's actually just sort of a pity vote. I don't think he deserves it. I think he's overshot this. Like, I, it doesn't feel um, natural at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, top three, Derek. Uh, so there are a lot of options for this. So I don't know that my top three are, are my favorite three, but they're ones that I wanted to put a spotlight on. And I did exclude Blade Runner just because I figured that we've been talking about it. So my number three is actually my, – my, my number one and two are older films, but I decided to go for something really recent for my number three. Mm-hmm. Recent as in about two months ago, which is Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Sure. The opening – not the opening because the title sequence is with all the space stations coming together, but the planet that he dreams of where these kind of porcelain-looking creatures uh, kind of make things happen with pearls and, ha- and, and have these beautiful beaches and is eventually destroyed by this apocalypse is, some, is, some of the, is about seven minutes of the most captivating filmmaking I've seen this year. It absolutely looks incredible, and I had to give it a special mention here. My number two is an old favorite, of course, Empire Strikes Back, and I wanted to choose Bespin, the Cloud City, uh, yep, yep. because I lo- there's something so singular about that in, in cinematic history. It's not a planet, but it's not a ship either. It's a station floating in the sky that looks just absolutely majestic upon approach, and there's just so much shit that goes on there, and Luke Skywalker almost falls out of the bottom of it, but doesn't quite. Anyway, I, that's, I, that was the one that came to mind for that. So my number one is a film that I don't think a lot of our listeners will have seen. It's called Fantastic Planet. It's from 1973. It's an animated film by a man named René Leloup, a Frenchman. And it has posits a world where 30, uh, I was going to say 100-foot-tall blue creatures called trags um, deal with human beings who are little <laughs> specks to them, basically, who they treat like sometimes like pets and sometimes like pests and rodents. Mm. And it has some of the most amazing, crazy animals and fauna 
um, and flora that you've ever seen uh, in a science fiction world. And the, the trags have the ability to speak to each other telepathically and they can move gravity around. And I don't think either of you have seen it probably, but you definitely should. It's mm-hmm. cool. That sounds good. I saw it uh, when I was 20. Uh, yeah. Nine years ago. And I just saw it recently again um, at, at MIF and, and oh, I still you, yeah. love it. Yeah. So yeah. those are my three. Nice. It's worth a rewatch. Yeah. I can't remember anything about it really. Yeah. Uh, my top three, I've got a tied for top for third is uh, The Matrix and Dark City. Were you going to say something, Zoe? No. Oh. I was just excited about your answer. Oh. <laughs> uh, the Matrix and Dark City, I've put them together because I think actually, firstly, they were, they were quite, um, I think Dark City was 1998 and, 90, and Matrix was 1999 and they're quite. Um, oh similar in their aesthetic and I think some of the sets were actually the same. Yeah, they're both kind of puzzles, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah, they're both yeah, from yeah. Australia and I think they actually, yeah, reused some of the Dark City sets in the Matrix. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm choosing a Star Wars location for my second one as well. I'm choosing Coruscant, <laughs> the uh, planet which is an entire, or city which uh. is just covers the entire planet. Yep. You, know, you don't like my choice? Oh, no. <laughs> Did you hear me groaning at Bespin? <laughs> I've heard you rip on my choices in the past, so I, I get some, some comeback. No, I just figured you'd go from one for the original trilogy at least. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the prequels have a lot more merit uh, than people give them credit for, and I think uh, George Lucas is just a bad writer. Those words are ima- worlds are imaginative, yes. And, and he's, yep. he's just a bad writer and director. He's, just, he's got imagination, and if someone else had written and directed those films, I think they would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's Lawrence Kasdan's fault that the prequels are bad because George Lucas asked him to write write them, and he wrote Empire and Jedi, and he said, no, they're your films, George, you do it. <laughs> and that's why. Uh, and my number one is Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker. Uh, I watched that movie in like eight, and it's like a four-hour Russian movie from the 70s, and I woke up to watch it at eight o'clock with a, on a Sunday morning with a friend of mine, really dreading it because it's a four-hour Russian movie. And I was absolutely captivated the entire time. It skyrocketed. It's in my top ten of all time. That's I a mean, weird Stalker one, Stalker yeah. is amazing. I thought you were going to say wow. Solaris because I consider that for my list, actually. Do you know the thing is I don't actually like Tarkovsky that much yeah. except for Stalker. Yeah. But I really like Stalker. Stalker, uh, Stalker's, it, it's, it has its rewards for sure. I'm not going to deny that. But it, it, is a, it is an endurance test. Yeah. But I find yeah. out of all the Tarkovsky movies... I found them all endurance tests. They yeah. all like they all had really amazing. Um, I, I think he's he's too you know he's uh, self indulgent yeah. and uh, uh, to to a fault. Uh, and I find all of them endurance te- endurance tests except for Stalker. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, Derek, mm. final thoughts on what are we talking about? Blade Runner 2049. So I've been considering the last few minutes that there's a disconnect between the fact that I spent most of this podcast talking about how I was disappointed by the film and then that I would give it a, give it a seven. Mm. And that's because there's a lot of merit in this film and I think a lot of directors would have screwed it up and I don't, and I don't think you screwed it up. And it's just that the, st- the bar is so high within science fiction. Like Blade Runner is the gold standard in science fiction um, noir and... To, to make anything that's even approaching that is is very difficult, and this one doesn't just, doesn't quite get there, but it's still worth seeing. Uh, I yeah, I agree with you, yeah. Derek. Uh, it's it's entertaining. Uh, I didn't get bored. I actually quite liked it. Um, I would tell people to go see it, and maybe like if you see it, go like to Hoyts and get popcorn and like do all <laughs> that sort of stuff. But I kind of wish I could erase it from my memory. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, I watched the first Blade Runner Especially today. Especially popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> I watched the first Blade Runner today, and within seconds, it hadn't even you hadn't even seen anything, yeah. and the credits were up with the score, the Evangelist score. Yeah, I just thought, oh my god, it's like it just doesn't compare. And that's the thing. I, I if the movie didn't have. It wasn't called Blade Runner. I think I'd be a lot more forgiving of it. But I just don't want to reward Hollywood for um for 
touching sh- uh, a property that I really just feel that was fine by itself. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I haven't seen the original since watching this twice. Hopefully it hasn't, you know, tarnished my memory of the original. I don't know. but It does a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would. And, you, you know, like when Rachel and uh, Deckard leave the apartment at the end, I know what's going to happen to them. Um, and part of the, uh, the appeal of the original was you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really think that this movie... Um, uh, uh, supr- doesn't reward thought as much as the first one does. And I think it's sort of um, pretending to have all these big ideas while it's uh, sort of waving its hand, you know, um, uh, with all these flashy lights and he's sort of like throwing all this stuff out there. But it's actually... It, it, I, I think deep reflection will end in a, in a dead end, a quick dead end. Um, and it's an unsatisfying film in that regard. Can I just ask one question no, of both no, I'm of sorry. you? Sorry, we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Would you watch it again, Derek? I don't think so. It's too long. But no. look, but look, I think if they could make another Blade Runner film that was in the Blade Runner world but abandoned this mythology, I'd watch it. You watch it. Would you watch it again, John? Oh man, I rewatched the shittest films. I rewatched Guardian of the Galaxy. <laughs> well, he's already rewatched it once, night. so there you go. There are there are bits like parts of this movie which I really like. These just they're brief moments, and then the film plateaus and sort of mm. like. And I did get bored in this movie quite a lot, even the first time I saw it. And uh, but I'll probably you know watch it. And I'll get but you wouldn't like you wouldn't you wouldn't. Like be like, oh, I'm gonna watch that again. Oh, totally. I'd put, it. I'd not put excited it on. Yeah. I'd no. put it on after a bottle of red when I got nothing else to do and just look <laughs> at It'd it. Be asleep after 35 yeah, minutes. Pass out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Is that it? That's all we got. That's all we got time for. That's all we got time for. Uh, thank you, Zoe. Thank you. And thank you, Derek. You are welcome. Uh, I'm John Roback. Uh, we'll be back uh, with another episode, another film. We haven't decided what yet. Uh, for more film stuff. Really good film stuff. Uh, go to realgood.com.au. Hey, before you go, did you mention that Blake wasn't here and he'll you be back soon? You completely interrupted my end <laughs> spiel. Plug. I'm not finishing the plug now and they're not going to know where to go. They're going to have to guess. Uh, we'll probably have Blake Curtis back for next episode. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe. Who knows? We're keeping you guessing. Thanks. Thanks.